Hello everybody and welcome to Nintendo Week for the end of week of March 11th through 17th. I'm your host Colin McIsaac and as always I'm joined by Alex Plant, Gamnesia Exclusive, and Ben Le Moreau. Hey, hey. This week marks our biggest episode yet and for two reasons. One is that Nintendo dropped a bombshell on us this morning. Uh, well I guess if you're listening to this it's yesterday morning, Tuesday morning. Um, by announcing their plans to release mobile games, as well as an official announcement of their next-gen hardware, currently codenamed NX. There's so much to talk about here that that's going to be this week's discussion segment, so we're going to talk about other news for a little while and then dig really deep into this, because there's really a ton to talk about. The second reason is that for the first time, we're going to have a third block in this week's show. So after we talk about news and discuss Nintendo's recent announcements, we're going we're gonna to be answering your questions. We asked Gamnesia fans to ask the three of us uh, anything and everything about Nintendo. So there's going to be some serious stuff, some wacky stuff. It's going to be a lot of fun. So with that all said, let's jump in. Platonic Games officially unveiled Project Ukulele on Saturday, the spiritual successor to Banjo-Kazooie. Uh, it's a 3D platformer, vibrant worlds, kooky, kooky characters. So basically, it's it's now been confirmed that it's everything we were, we were expecting, uh, but on a surprising new scale. It's going to be non-linear, unlike the Banjo games, uh, and as, as you gather more collectibles, not only will you unlock new worlds, but the worlds that you've already explored will grow even bigger, so there will be more new space. Um, they're already planning like a ton of characters and worlds who they'll later spin off to star in their own games. So you can think of that kind of like um, how Banjo and Conker were in Diddy Kong Racing and then tipped up from that game was then in Banjo, uh, you know, etc. But most importantly, they really want fan feedback to drive the game. Uh, they're setting up forums, they're launching a Kickstarter, uh, they really want you to make your voice heard on every aspect of the game. Uh, Platonic specifically says, we want you guys to just tell us and engage with us, and we'll try and make it happen. It's entirely up to what you guys want to see us do. Yeah, so I'm glad they announced it. Uh, but, and I don't know if this is just me, but judging from the screenshots so far, the vibes I'm getting are less Banjo and more kind of Sonic or Spyro. Really? Just kind of based on just kind of based on the artwork. Oh, I, um, I'm kind of getting like an updated Banjo vibe. If you look at the geometry of things, it, it feels very Sonic-like. Eh. Uh, yeah, and fair, maybe that's, that's that's just an aesthetic thing, but uh, it's it's sort of weird to see that direction given the quality of the recent modern Sonic games. So I'm I'm, I'm hoping it it's aligned with Banjo more than with Sonic, but I'm I'm a little worried. Uh, so do you think that uh, Platonic should develop the next Sonic game because Sega's incapable of doing it? Well, <laughs> it's, I'm not it's sure more that I'm no no I mean, I, I kid game. I kid. It's more that I'm concerned of, about anything that resembles modern Sonic in any way whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, everything... So I'm, a little, I'm just a little nervous. Everything they've said so far sounds great on paper, but when it comes to like these, these rare-type games, there's basically two things that, to me, are the most important, and that's you know the, the atmosphere of the game, like the, the goofy characters and the fun dialogue and things like that, and then how the gameplay handles. And we haven't seen either of these things. You know, they've promised interesting characters, and I have no doubt that they'll deliver. But I can't really form an opinion on a game that's really based on 3D platform and memorable characters when we haven't really been introduced to any of the characters yet or seen any of the yeah. gameplay. Yeah, honestly, I, I, I'm, I am with you on that. I feel like some of their characters are very, not generic, but they're just not quite um, 
lovable in the same way that like the Donkey Kong Country cast was, that like the Banjo cast was. Um, well, we'll I, I we'll feel like they, they more feel more like before we can figure it out, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, although right now I do feel like they're kind of like the side characters from Diddy Kong Racing instead of like you know the stars uh, like like Banjo, like Diddy Kong, like. Uh, you know, like some of those characters were. And then, you know, with them saying it's going to be non-linear, that's, that's where it's going to be interesting to see how this gameplay unfolds. Because this is going to be a little different than what they've seen before, which is good, because I don't think you can just bank on nostalgia. You have to bring some new things to the table. But until we see how this plays out, this Banjo-style game, but with a non-linear world, you know, it's, it's hard to make judgments at this point. I'm cautiously optimistic and really excited to see what they come up with, but... Just from what they've shown so far, it's not enough for me to be, you know, super hyped for this game. I I completely understand where you're coming from. Um, you know, with Rareware, we've seen, like, two kinds of Rare. We've seen, like, Donkey Kong Country, Banjo-Kazooie, Viva Pinata Rare, and then we've seen Grabbed by the Ghoulies Rare. Um, so, and those are, those are the same people. Grabbed by the Ghoulies was made, like, early in the Xbox's life cycle when, when Microsoft, like, first acquired them. So they do have they do have their hits and they have their misses and uh, while while it is all well and good and really exciting to to think that this is going to be a real return to form for Banjo Kazooie even if it's not the Banjo Kazooie series um, it is also you know I don't want to I don't want to get my hopes too high just to have them dashed in case it's something really more like grabbed by the ghoulies. <laughs> well, I would say the great thing about this news is even. Even depending, even if it, if the game turns out badly, uh, it's great that they're actually revisiting this old style of game that's basically died out right. at this point. Right, because uh, we've seen we've seen like indie developers like uh, with a hat and time kind of try to uh, recapture this magic, but I think it's really encouraging and really exciting to see that the people who really made this good and made this um, popular to begin with are giving it are giving it another go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the reason we're talking about this in a Nintendo podcast, you know, you may be wondering that, um, is it, it, I think it's fair to say that Banjo-Kazooie and Rare is really uh, embedded in Nintendo culture and the Nintendo fandom. Um, and I, I think it's fair to say that a lot of Nintendo fans, you know, really consider Banjo-Kazooie to be a part of that, to be a part of this, this whole culture almost. Uh, so... A lot of Nintendo fans are getting really excited about this, um, and Platonic themselves seem to be really focused on Nintendo. Uh, they're talking a lot about bringing it to Wii U. Um, the only console that they mentioned by name in this whole presentation was Wii U, uh, though they did say they would bring it to other consoles, uh, depending on fan uh, demand. But they talked about uh, maybe even having like an Amiibo line. Uh, so it's it's they're clearly really really. Uh, wedded to Nintendo. That's a bad choice of words, but they're, they, they clearly really like Nintendo and really want to work with them. I'd ship it. <laughs> so Sega and Game Freak are working together on a brand new game called Tembo the Badass Elephant. Uh, it's kind of funny hearing a game that has the word badass in the name from the same people who make Pokemon, uh, but it's a platformer starring a commando elephant named Tembo. Uh, you can you can check out the trailer at Gamnesia.com if you're interested. Um, the, th the thing about this game, though, that has people talking is uh, even though it's made by Game Freak, it's not coming to Nintendo platforms. It's coming to Steam, Xbox One, and PlayStation 4. Uh, no Wii U, no 3DS. So, Yeah, and, and Sega and Game Freak are both companies that have had 
great relationships with Nintendo. Obviously, Sega has put all of the recent Sonic games on Wii U and 3DS, and you know, Game Freak works almost exclusively with Nintendo. Yeah, I didn't realize that Game Freak wasn't even owned by Nintendo at this right, point. Right, they, they just have a, a deal when it comes to the Pokemon series yeah. that it's console exclusive to Nintendo, but... Yeah, so it's, it's very strange to see them working on a non-Nintendo game. I would say maybe the two factors that made them choose that is obviously poor sales of Wii U is, you know, one factor. Xbox One and PS4 have both outsold it already, even though they've been on the market less. And then also it's possible that they just didn't think a game called Tembo the Badass would sell particularly well on yeah. a Nintendo platform. Yeah. Not, not too many moms are going to buy their kid Tembo the Badass Elephant. It's funny because if you look at the game, it looks like a game that would do okay on Wii U. Yeah, it but looks like a game, honestly, I think that would do better on Wii U and 3DS than on the other certainly than Especially than PS4. Sega and Game Freak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, throw Badass <laughs> in the name and it, it yeah. turns off well, the Well, I mean, they could have easily called it Tembo the Elephant Commando. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's, 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 it's not true, hard to... But... It's obviously not their vision, and if there's anything developers yeah. are about these days, it's about their vision. I'm just imagining a director putting his foot down and saying, if I don't get to call it Tembo the Badass Elephant, then I'm not making it. Nuh-uh. You can't Maybe have the director it. is Tembo the Badass Elephant. Plus making it about Jinx. himself. So, a few weeks ago, we talked about the giant Majora eyes in the bosses on Majora's Mask, and Aonuma recently explained a little bit behind that. Uh... So he, he talks a lot about the pacing of the game and where, where players might slow down when you don't want them to. And sure enough, that is really important to consider, uh, especially when your game has a three-day time limit, like Majora's Mask does. So he says, he says that this happens any time the difficulty of the game peaks. That's something we decided to pay very close attention to. For example, even in boss fights, if you don't make the weak point of the boss clear enough, people are going to go through the boss fight several times. They might just stop and look up how to beat the boss. Anytime that happens, you're losing tempo in the game. So hearing this, I can better understand like where he and the dev team are coming from when they, where they put these, these giant eyes there. But I still stand by what we said last time we talked about this. Uh, that, that they could have they come to a more creative or at least a more subtle solution. Um, and one that fitter... That, <laughs> And one that better fits the aesthetics of the bosses themselves uh, than just having these these eyes that are just ta- ripped straight from Majora. Not not even made for these bosses, but just taken from Majora and slapped onto these characters. Yeah, setting aside the eyes themselves, uh, every time Aonuma opens his mouth about a subject like this, I think of his comments when he said he couldn't beat the original Legend of Zelda because he couldn't get past the Octoroks. So when I hear him say things like this, it's, it's alarming serious? to me. Yes, that, that's what he said. He said he could never get through The Legend of Zelda because he's bad at action games and couldn't beat the Octoroks. Why, why is he a game developer at all? Because he couldn't yeah, play them, a, so he decided that's to a topic. Make that's a topic for another day. But, uh, <laughs> right. but He's a good developer for, for our listeners. I, I think he's a good developer, but I'm, I'm shocked that he couldn't beat the original Zelda because of the first enemy in the game. Yeah, and... And it sort of alarms me that at the helm of the Zelda series, he's taken what was an action-based series, and he's turned it into more of a puzzle-adventure series. Well, uh, he I sees know. bosses... I argue that it, was, that it was a puzzle-action-adventure. Well, more, I mean, more of an... There's action in it still, but it's certainly been significantly watered down. No, even, no, I meant even the, the action itself is sort of puzzle-based. Right, 
Exactly. No, and I meant the original game. I, I oh, would yeah. say it's like actual puzzle some, adventure. There are some a little puzzles. less puzzles. There are some puzzles, but the weight is definitely more slanted toward action. And when when I see him make comments like this about bosses and how they need to have these clear weak points and how players who can't find the clear weak points will just look them up and then be able to beat the boss, I kind of wonder whether it would be better designed to just make bosses that don't revolve around weak spots and instead revolve around skill. Uh, so, you know, if, if if you have a game where if people just look up the answer, they can beat the game, that's that's not a satisfying challenge. That's That's a puzzle. I mean, that's something that you beat once and you remember the solution forever. A uh, skill-based game would be more about building up your skills and getting good enough to beat the game. And maybe next time you can challenge yourself a little more and do it with weaker equipment or something. So when I hear him say stuff like this, I'm a little worried that he'll do more of a puzzle focus with the bosses in Zelda U. Uh, which, given how much they've talked about making it more like the first game, kind of has me skeptical. I like a good blend of the two things, like the puzzle and the action, or you know, basing it on skill versus basing it on finding a weakness. I think it's always great when you when you come up to a new boss and you can kind of experiment, try different weapons on them, see what effect they have, or try hitting them in different spots, or try using the environment to your advantage. And I really like that aspect of it is just, you know, approaching it as how can I get an advantage over this guy. But I think the problem becomes when that advantage just becomes an easy trump card and it's, oh, I figured out his weak spot, so now it's just press A repeatedly and then I win. And, you know, I think that's what you're talking about, where there shouldn't be a boss where you can just look it up online and then it becomes easy. I think there needs to be a good blend where even if you do find the weak spot, it gives you a clear advantage, but it doesn't just make it, you know, easier than beating Majora's with the with the Fierce Deity Mask. There should still be skill involved even after you locate weak spots. Yeah, and there's a cool opportunity with the fact that they're making the next game non-linear to take, say, an item that you get later in the game and maybe if you stumble on it earlier on, you can kick ass against a bunch of the other bosses. Uh, but that's not that would be something that you'd have to kind of build up to or maybe grind heart containers till you can get there. Uh, and then you can come back and, and, and that would be kind of your trump card as opposed to these obvious trump cards that you see just based on looking at the boss. Exactly. Level 5 is already making two new Yokai Watch games. For those of you who don't know what Yokai Watch is, uh, it's an immensely popular series in Japan. It's launching in the West, I think, later this year. Uh, the, the anime is, anyway. Uh, it's, it's like five parts Pokemon and like one part Ghostbusters. Uh, and Yokai Watch 2 is split into two different versions, like Pokemon is. So Koro Koro will reveal details on two new Yokai Watch games next month. At least one of them is probably Yokai Watch 3. That kind of depends, you know, it could be like Yokai Watch 3 red version and blue version. Uh, and Level 5 is already working on a spin-off called Yokai Watch Busters based on a mode from Yokai Watch 2. Yeah, so the first Yokai Watch game, it eclipsed a million sales in Japan, did pretty good, and then as the anime and toy line started to pick up steam, the second one was immensely popular. That was where they launched it with two versions, much like Pokemon. And then they also actually released a third version late last year. Again, very similar to Pokemon, how you get... Emerald like, you version? Know. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so, Yokai Watch 2, between its three versions, I think has, has broken 5 million sales now. And all three versions released within, like, six months of each other. So this is just extremely popular. And, yeah, they're, they're planning to reveal Yokai Watch 3 soon, which... That could launch with two versions, or maybe just one. We're not really sure. They haven't elaborated yet. And then Busters, like you said, it's it's a mode from the second game, and they're expanding it into its own game. So this is just becoming a major series for them. 
and it's it's honestly selling at the same level that po- it's it's selling more than Pokemon is right now. So it'll be interesting to see if it can take off in the West the way Pokemon did, where having you know that that TV show for kids to get up and watch and that toy line for them to go out and get you know keeps them hooked on the games too. Yeah, and hopefully it's a good example to others that a new property backed by a multimedia franchise can do really well. Level 5 is also working on Fantasy Life 2 and a new Professor Layton game, and they're officially revealing those projects on April 7th. They kind of, Professor Layton kind of ended with, uh, like, the last, the second trilogy, right? I think they originally intended, and then now, yeah. now I guess they decide to, to make another. They've said the next one will be very, very different from the previously established formula of the series, so. What's the kid's name? Luke? I'm honestly not sure. I never really played the game. Professor games. Luke! <laughs> I don't know if that's a kid's name, but I think you're right. But I, I never remember either. That could be kind of cool if, like, if they do that, like Luke is now the professor, and uh, Professor Layton is like some old guy, like kind of giving him advice and stuff. And Luke has like a new assistant. I still don't know if his name is Luke. So what but... they're gonna do is they're gonna turn it into the Japanese Doctor Who, and every time they finish a trilogy, <laughs> another doctor will, a professor will come in. Well, uh, who? New, do we new get Layton. to see the professor killed off in each game like they do the doctors, or would that be a little final <laughs> for 3DS? So, also on this presentation they're doing on April 7th, they've said they're going to reveal some sort of multimedia project, which could be tied to a game. You'd almost assume it is, since Level Five's working on it. And then also, they said they're going to reveal another game that will be a collaboration project with another company. And last year, they teased that they were working on a game that they thought would be more popular than Yokai Watch. So there should be a lot of stuff coming on this this April seventh presentation. Huh. To pay attention. Interesting. To. Interesting. I wonder if they're making like a like a multimedia series out of Professor Layton. That's yeah, a possibility. I, I feel like I feel like Professor Layton is just so ripe for like an anime series. Granted, I've never played Professor Layton though, so I'm not the best source. <laughs> that is your uninformed opinion. <laughs> My completely uninformed opinion. Majora's Mask 3D topped the U.S. sales charts in February by selling over half a million units. Second place was Evolve, and I really wish they would tell us the sales numbers for more, for more than just the top and bottom game. Um, there's not really much we can talk about here if we don't have any numbers to compare Majora's Mask to for the moment. Yeah, well, unlike Media Create, which tracks all sales in Japan, NPD, they can kind of give rough estimates, but they can only give exact numbers if the companies turn them over. So anytime they give numbers, those are coming straight from press releases from Nintendo, Microsoft, and Sony. Well, so. right, right. Which is really frustrating that the other companies don't do that. I hate well, they don't that they like don't to talk. Do that. Well, they do it when they have I was going to really say, they don't talk about sometimes. anything unless sometimes. it's over a million sales or over such and such dollars. Like, that's, yeah. that's how they operate when it comes to sales numbers. Yeah. Uh, Monster Hunter 4, though, placed... Te- well, Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate placed 10 on the list at 290,000 copies sold, which is pretty dang good for a Monster Hunter game, uh, especially in the West. Well, really, in, in the West. In Japan, that would be abysmal. Um, so... That's like the first hour sales. <laughs> so maybe Monster Hunter is on the uptick. Do you think? Do you think that's because? Uh, do you think that's because of the game itself, or do you think uh, you know more? Capcom is doing a better job marketing it and selling it in the West. Well, I mean, these are impressive numbers, but I think right now it's too hard to tell because the the timing, because it was right on the heels of the launch of the new 3DS. Uh, 
it's late enough in the 3DS uh, life cycle that you have all the super fans who are already in the ecosystem buying a bunch of copies. So yeah, we won't really know if the popularity is really ticked up until we see the the tail sales, which I think I've I've talked about this before. Tail sales, yeah, tail how sales. they're they're like front loaded and yeah, and it's happening yeah, we, with we Nintendo too. This. I think launching yeah. it aside alongside the new Nintendo 3DS and with the special edition and everything was obviously just the best possible way you could have launched. Right. Them well, they also four, they so. also had that. Um, no, I mean not like a whole not like a marketing campaign, but they had the idea to do like the Legend of Zelda DLC and stuff and have like this this once a month free DLC um, that's like really substantial DLC, which I've, we've talked about on this podcast before, I think, how it's like, you know, it's really a, a, a nice, satisfying upgrade for free for people who have it. So, And I think the series probably is picking up some traction in North America just because the, the fan base is getting more used to the platform it's on now. Right. Because it used to be mostly Sony exclusive and, you know, only maybe half the games ever made it to America. But now it's been Nintendo... Not quite exclusive, but mostly on Nintendo platforms for a while now. And, you know, we got Monster Hunter Try, we got 3 Ultimate, now we're getting 4 Ultimate. So I think, you know, fans in the West are getting more used to Monster Hunter games consistently coming out and consistently coming out on the same platform. So I think the popularity is starting right. to grow. And I think another an underappreciated reason why this game might be doing well is that uh, Nintendo's really been treating this game much better than it does most of its third-party games, which... You know, in the past, you'll see third-party games in, like, a sizzle trailer or something. They don't really give right. the floor to them like they have with this game, and they've even positioned it as a major launch title for a new platform, which is, like, right. unprecedented, yeah. I would say, in America, at least. Speaking of sales, Nintendo 3DS hardware sales for the last two months are up 90% compared to last January through February. Uh, so this is likely in part due to the strong Majora's Mask sales we just discussed, uh, but in much larger part to the launch of the new Nintendo 3DS XL, because this has previous 3DS owners buying new hardware. So I think the really crazy thing about the sales numbers is that new 3DS topped the launch of the 3DS XL, even though nowadays the 3DS has already peaked and it seems like it was on the decline. So you wouldn't really expect those kinds of numbers at this point. And that's a good sign because it means that Nintendo's new 3DS strategy is really paying off, even if it's really just about getting the old owners to upgrade. Uh, they're still. Well, I mean, I think it, it is a good up. I, I think that's because like people who had the original 3DS didn't really see a need to upgrade to the 3DS XL because all it really is is more expensive hardware that's bigger, that's like less convenient, and it looks it looks nicer. It's it's better. I think it's a much better experience to play on. But I think a lot more people see a reason to upgrade from any old model of 3DS to the new 3DS than from the original 3DS to the 3DS XL. Well, and let me let me flip back to the 3DS XL comment. I don't think the 3DS XL was as much meant as an upgrade as it was meant as a sales driver for the 3DS. So at this point, uh, new 3DS isn't doing the job that 3DS XL is supposed to do. It's doing a completely different one, but it's doing it better than 3DS XL did at hmm. driving sales back then. Uh, so their upgrade strategy seems to be paying off as opposed to their release a new model and try to get more people to buy. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, new Nintendo 3DS is definitely a very quality upgrade. So, you know, I think that's obviously a huge contributing factor in why sales were so good for the first two months of this year. But a big part of that 90% jump is also just because 3DS sales were frankly pretty terrible last year yeah, in January and February. It was about this time that last year that Nintendo was cutting their predictions and saying, oh, we thought we were going to get 18 million 3DSs sold, but we're only going to get 12 million now. Yeah. 
and they also they put in much weaker holiday numbers than they anticipated. I remember Iwata addressed the investors and basically said, we expected Nintendo 3DS and 2DS to be at the top of like little kids' Christmas lists, and it just kind of wasn't. Mm-hmm. So last year we saw some of you know the weakest sales in January and February for just any months in 3DS life, and now this year we're seeing particularly strong sales because of the new model. So that's why you got such a, a huge gap between last year's numbers and this year's numbers. Right. Uh, you, made a, you made a comment about how new 3DS is a good upgrade, and I think that really hits on an interesting point, which is that Nintendo is usually relied on their hardware being differentiated from past hardware. And what's really interesting this time around is that they're responding to things that people were asking for. They weren't being creative with the hardware. They were giving people what they wanted. C-Stick particularly. Yeah, exactly. C-Stick was like one of the most requested features. I think it's more stable 3D. So anyway, the fact that, that a quality upgrade is really getting so much traction sort of flies in the face of their usual strategy. So yeah, the new Nintendo 3DS, we all can pretty much agree that it has a terrible name. <laughs> Reggie Reggie doesn't think so. Reggie defends its name. Uh, he says, We think deeply about all our product names and really try and come up with a naming convention that makes sense for the consumer that communicates what's going on. We believe that this communicates that this is an improved version of the 3DS line. My sentiment is, I don't care what you believe, Reggie. You're wrong. I've, I've met plenty of gamers who and even Nintendo fans who just don't understand the difference. And if you're having trouble communicating it to your fans, you can certainly bet that it will not communicate to the wider range of your consumers. I mean, it's better than Wii U. And it at least reiterates that this is a new like console in the 3DS family. And it has been doing pretty well, yeah. so people seem to have gotten the message. Um... Yeah, but does better really mean good? No, I mean... Better than Wii better th- U, doesn't yeah. it? Well, I mean, yes. <laughs> it's a pretty low there's bar. There's that. Uh, I, think, I think the real toxic problem is that they have this obsession with continuing their brands, uh, even when brand loyalty seems to be really shaky for them in the first place. And then yeah. on top of that, yeah. they give them weird brand extension names. So New Nintendo 3DS XL. Yeah, like that's way too cluttered. There's way too much going on there. That would not pass my test for putting headlines on the site. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and brand loyalty hasn't even traditionally worked that way. Like even PS4 had to kind of build itself up prior to launch with things like PSN and their Mm -hmm. really awesome PS4 strategy and marketing. Uh, It wasn't just like, oh, it's a new PlayStation, so it's going to do well. They had to really nail everything, including including the marketing and branding. I'll say I think yeah. it's a terrible name, but I don't think that has to matter because we're seeing great sales early on, and that's mostly from the really dedicated Nintendo fans who want the upgrade. And so these fans, obviously, they, they most of them do understand the difference between a standard 3DS and a new Nintendo 3DS because they're the type that follow along and you know read websites like Gamnesia, so they're up to date on that. And eventually, those sales are going to slow, though, and you're not going to get all the hardcore fans rushing in to buy it because most of them either already have it or have decided they don't want it. And that's when you have to start branching out to you know, a, a slightly wider fan base, if that's even Nintendo's focus. So for Nintendo to avoid that being a problem, like to avoid the problem of having you know someone go into GameStop and they say, I want a new 3DS, and the person has no idea if they want a, a new version of the old 3DS or a, a new 3DS. Can I get a new Wii U you know, XL? Deluxe. <laughs> well, 
as long as Nintendo phases out the old models of 3DS and stops, you know, manufacturing new ones and putting them on the shelves and just makes new 3DS the standard model from here on out, then that's, I don't think it becomes a problem anymore. I think maybe having new in the name is flashy enough that kind of makes customers look and say, oh, what's, what's new about this? And they don't really have the old one to compare it to and be confused about because it's been phased out and you can't buy a new old 3DS anymore. <laughs> but if Nintendo continues to produce, you know, 3DS, 3DS XL, 2DS, new 3DS, and new 3DS XL, then yeah, you're just asking for confusion. Yeah. So the happy mask salesman may return in a future Zelda game. Uh, Nintendo held like a mock interview with the character on Miiverse and uh, the the fake Happy Mask Salesman said that seeing him, meaning the real Happy Mask Salesman, um, so it's it's confusing. Uh, he said that uh, seeing the Happy Mask Salesman in a future Zelda game, quote, wouldn't be a stretch. So, you know, Zelda U is coming out later this year. Do we think that he's going to make an appearance? Like, is 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 this interview teasing that? Uh, and if he does, do you think he's going to play like a major role, or do you think it's going to be more, more subtle, like Ocarina of Time? I'm hoping that if he does show up in Zelda U, his role is more like it was in Ocarina of Time, and by that I mean he's not like this frontline character. Uh, but I'm hoping that the masks themselves are more like Majora's Mask, where they give you special abilities, like maybe the bunny hood, like it makes you run faster, or the stone mask makes you hard to detect. Because uh, I thought that that system was really cool, but I don't think he should be a main character again. Is is there like a particular reason behind that? I, it's just nice to see new characters and new stories, and yeah, yeah. I feel that it, it's it's a cool system, so it deserves to be used again in some way. But that doesn't mean that this the story behind it has to be reused too. One thing I could see Nintendo doing is sort of throwing in some connections to Majora's Mask and Zelda U. We saw Ocarina of Time 3D launch on 3DS back in 2011, and then Skyward Sword came out later that year and sort of served as a prequel story to that. So you got the origins of, like, um, Zelda and Impa and even Ganon to an extent. And I don't imagine we'd see anything that fleshed out just because Majora's Mask is really based around mystery, so revealing too many origins would kind of ruin that. But I could see them having Happy Mask Salesman and maybe some other little cameos just to sort of... You know, as, as a bonus for people that just bought Majora's Mask 3D earlier that year, especially if if new fans, you know, Majora's Mask 3D, you know, introduce them to the series, and then it's like, oh hey, you know, here's something from that game I bought right. earlier. Well, this Zelda's year. also no stranger to uh, fan to characters reappearing in uh, canon games, but in like you know not in the same role. Like Dompe has right. been in like a bunch of games. Uh, you know, Impa, amazing toilet hand, yeah, guy. the toilet hand guy. So yeah. So an indie record label based in New York is uh, on Kickstarter seeking funds for a Western release of the Official Mother soundtrack. So the Official Mother soundtrack isn't just like the music ripped from the game. Mother, by the way, for those who don't know, it's the prequel to Earthbound. Uh, Earthbound was, is technically, it's Mother 2 in Japan, uh, but Mother wasn't released in America. So the, the Mother soundtrack has a lot of familiar stuff like Eight Melodies. It's got um, a song called Be and Friends, which... That's the song that plays in Onet and Smash Bros. It's like da 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 da. da. I'll just play it in the in the podcast. I'll I won't sound like an idiot. That no way. no, please sing the whole thing. <laughs> um, so it's uh, it's got a ton of familiar songs, 
It's basically like a beta version of the Earthbound soundtrack, almost. But what the official soundtrack was, was a studio recorded album. Like it's got some orchestrated tracks. It's got some uh, really, really great vocalists singing lyrical versions of these songs. It's a really amazing album. Uh, you can find it on YouTube already because people have uploaded it from Japan because it's been out there since like 1989. But uh, he's on Kickstarter seeking funding for a Western release. And uh, the project was actually fully funded recently. Woo! Uh, so yeah, if you're if you're interested in that, um, go ahead and check it out. So Nintendo is banning Club Nintendo members who exploited that that Wii Mini glitch on the Club Nintendo system. Uh, for a while, there was this glitch where you could type in like the first four numbers or something of a Wii Mini serial code, and uh, then if you uh, just entered a bunch of just random digits after that, it would give you like a legitimate code for Wii Mini, and it would register. Uh, the Wii Mini on your account as a console, it would give you coins and stuff, and then you could use those coins to get rewards. Nintendo is now banning Club Nintendo members who did that. I feel like it's kind of a bad time to do that because <laughs> Club Nintendo's dead anyway. Too late. <laughs> you know, I, I bet the way they figured out who was exploiting it is just they banned everyone who claimed to own a Wii Mini because they know <laughs> no one actually owns that thing. Anyway, so Codename Steam came out uh, last week, last Friday, um, and it's it's... Looking like the reviews are pretty good. Uh, it's getting mostly sevens and eights. Uh, Polygon and GameSpot gave it pretty pretty low scores, uh, but the general consensus seems to be that um, it's a great start for a new IP from Nintendo, uh, both gameplay-wise and in terms of uh, the characters and the world it's set in. Do you think we'll see this expanded into a series? I mean, I think so. And Nintendo serializes everything they do. The only <laughs> The only game I can think of that Nintendo's ever released... In, in the last, like, two or three console generations, is Harmonite, which is like, come on. Yeah. Dylan's Rolling Western had a sequel. Pushmo had two sequels. Well, Codename seems got to get a sequel at some point. But um, uh, at least personally, I think, like, the world it's set in, you know, the steampunk aesthetic, I, the com the whole comic book vibe, I think it's really cool. I don't, I don't particularly think the gameplay's that great. I think there are a lot of things that people are complaining about that I think are totally valid that do that do drag the game down but um all in all I I would love to see you know a codename Steam 2 that addresses issues uh, from its predecessor and uh, really makes it into a really fluid really good uh great experience because I do think it's it's a it's a great series to add to Nintendo's repertoire do you want to turn the steam into fluid oh my god <laughs> Given the way they used Amiibo in this game, I could see them expanding on the Amiibo concept for a future game, because it's already a team of, like, crossover freaking superheroes anyway. You might as well bring Nintendo heroes into the mix. Yeah, that's true. You got, like, a, you know, you got, like, the entire cast of Wizard of Oz. Right, precisely. Like the witch. Uh, uh, you got Abe Lincoln. You've got, like, John Henry. So, yeah. And, and yeah. a lot of Nintendo characters were really popular in America, too, so it fits the theme well. Right. Well, I, I, I feel like um, I feel like you could easily add not so much characters like like Martha and Lucina and stuff, because because there is very much a an American folklore theme behind which characters they chose to be playable. Yeah. In Codename Steam. You know, it's it's Abe Lincoln. It's 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 an African-American folk hero. It's you know, you've got Henry Fleming from the Red Badge of Courage. So it's 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 really an, an American vibe. And in that sense, I could totally see them adding like little mac like captain falcon even mario uh, mario is supposed to be from Even america mario, yeah. uh donkey kong is very Isn't king kong-esque 
I thought I thought Mario's Italian. I thought Mario's from the Mushroom well, Kingdom. Well, no, he's from well, Brooklyn. Two Come totally on. different answers Brooklyn. There. That's true. I thought that was just the show, though. No, that that was in the instruction manual. Was it really? Yeah. Really? I'm pretty sure. What? That's crazy. Yeah, well, okay. isn't, like, well, the original, like, 1983 Mario, isn't that supposed to be, like, in the sewers? It's a melting Brooklyn? pot. Yeah, and he's oh, yeah. Italian, so, I or mean, I he's an Italian-American. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you, though. Meanwhile, though, Mario Party 10, it's not out yet. It comes out uh, this Friday, but Mario Party 10, has been the reviews have been rolling in, and they are not looking good. The general consensus on that is it's boring, it's lame, the whole car mechanic is just a fundamentally bad idea. It makes things too predictable, too repetitive, too dull. But meanwhile, the, the asymmetrical gameplay on the Bowser mode is like a really good idea, a great new addition, but there aren't enough minigames to keep it really interesting and the player who's Bowser has way too much power. Like they can roll four die at once and, and uh, no matter how many players are uh, going against them oh, that's in like the car. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Uh, meanwhile, the Amiibo party is like a great callback to the original Mario party, but the boards are just squares with no diverging paths. And it's, it just looks like it's just all also you, you have to, in the Amiibo mode, you have to scan your Amiibo at every turn. Oh, Not just at gross. the beginning to get the board game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, game Explained called it, and I think this is a really good quote, an exercise in tedium. The point, <laughs> like as if the point of the game is is just to be tedious. Uh, it really, it really sounds like there are just some major issues with Mario Party Ten. And it's uh, a shame, given that yeah. Nintendo should at least be able to make games that don't have glaring issues. <laughs> yeah, for real. They're Nintendo. Uh, they've they've made it clear that Mario Party Mario Party series is the exception to the rule. Uh, <laughs> the last for the last few years, anyway. Yeah, um, sure enough. So, so and as always, uh, to conclude the news segment of this week's show, we're bringing you a lightning round with little nuggets of information. So, there's some upcoming dates to look out for. Like I said, March 20th is when Mario Party 10 comes out, alongside the Super Mario series of Amiibo and the Gold Mario Amiibo. April 7th again is when Level 5 will be revealing Yokai Watch 3, Fantasy Life 2, and a new Professor Layton. Alongside Ben, you said some like other new stuff. A collaboration project and a Mino multimedia Mino venture Mino of some sort. Um, and uh, the fourth wave of Super Smash Bros. Amiibo launches on April 20th in Oceana, so we can expect a release date around the same time in the Americas as well. And a few general facts from last week and some reminders for you. Star Fox fans are working on making Dinosaur Planet, the Rareware game that eventually became Star Fox Adventures, into an animated series. So that's pretty cool. You can check that out if you want. If you have a smaller model new 3DS, you can get blank faceplates from Etsy to make your own custom designs, uh, which is, I think that's really cool. If, if we had them in America, I would love doing that. We have some gorgeous, colorful new artwork from Splatoon, as well as some more new footage and artwork from Xenoblade Chronicles X. We also have new artwork, screenshots, and a developer stream from Bravely Second. Two engineers from Netflix have made a version of Netflix that runs on the NES. It's totally nuts. It looks really bad, but it's, it's really cool to see. We have the um, technology. The future is now. We can watch TV on our Nintendo Entertainment System. Hyrule Warriors Boss Pack DLC is now available, so if you want to play as Ganon or a giant Cucko, you can download it today. And someone has figured out a way to exploit Street Pass and have your plaza visited by the same special me unlimited times. Uh, once again, you can head to Gamnesia to learn all about it, all about any of these things we just discussed in the lightning round. Alright guys, so after the break we will be back to discuss Nintendo's smartphone plans and their new system codenamed NX. 
there's a megaton of information here, so we're going to be breaking down the news, the reactions, what it means for Nintendo, uh, and after that we're going to be answering your questions. We asked fans at Gamnesia to ask anything and everything about Nintendo, and boy did you guys deliver. All that coming up and more, so do stay tuned. Alright, hello everybody! We are back with Nintendo Week. I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, and I'm joined by Alex Plant. Hey! And Benley Moreau. What's going on? And we are here to discuss all of the news Nintendo revealed today about smartphones, about their next generation of, of console hardware. Uh, wow, there's, there's so much here. So, I mean... All the things. All the things. I mean, let's start off with their, um, their smartphone plans. So they announced their plans for smartphones... Uh, essentially, they are going to be releasing games. For a long time, they were saying they would not release games. They would just release apps that would uh, bring, uh, you know, bring consumers on smartphones back to Nintendo consoles. A couple weeks ago, though, here on this podcast, we sort of said, no matter no matter what you do with these companion apps, they're not going to convince people to buy Nintendo hardware, to buy Nintendo games. Um, companion apps are really built for people who already have that stuff. And we said, you know, the, the best thing for them to do would be to release games on smartphones that give people a taste of what Nintendo's all about and then say, hey, look, you can buy a Wii U, you can buy a 3DS, you can get all these games, it, way better games, and, you know, get a lot more out of them if you buy our hardware instead. And uh, it looks like that's exactly what they're going to do. They have announced a new uh, partnership with a company called DNA. It's called DNA, not Dina. Um, got a, a little bit of a confusing uh, way of spelling their name there. But um, it's a mobile gaming conglomerate? They're a conglomerate, right? Or do they just have like some services? I don't know how you define... I don't know how you define conglomerate in this context, so... I don't know. Okay, well, anyway, they, they're... Do they conglomerate? <laughs> well, they're, they're a big company uh, in the mobile game space. They've been pushing Nintendo f since 2010, so that's for five years to be able to use Nintendo's IP uh, in their smartphone games. And they're also, they're very, very um, familiar with using microtransactions and using the free-to-play model um, for their games. So that is a point of a little bit of, a little bit of caution, because I think we can all agree that Nintendo is best when their gameplay experiences are uh, pay once and play. That's all right there. Although that is something they've talked about experimenting with more in the future. I mean, you know, we've seen with Steel Diver and Pokemon Shuffle. Rusty's Real Deal Baseball, bit. too, which people say is a really, really good way to do free-to-play. And I know one one franchise they've talked about going free-to-play with, they're just making a free-to-play iteration, is Animal Crossing. So that's that's something where, you know, it's possible they could pull it off pretty well with, you know, just optional things that you could purchase with microtransactions. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. And I think... I think if there's any company I trust to do microtransactions the right way, it's Nintendo. I was going to say EA. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. 
clearly. <laughs> well, but so the, the point is, uh, I guess it's sort of a, a balancing act, you know, how, how far will Nintendo dip their toes into what DNA is familiar with, and how far will DNA be willing to dip their toes into what Nintendo's familiar with? Uh, how much is it DNA just sort of mooching off of Nintendo IP to make their games and market them? Uh, and how much of it is Nintendo uh, using DNA's resources and familiarity with the model um, to benefit them? That's a big question, I think, for everyone, and I don't think we really have an answer yet. Although I think, uh, well, I mean, we can raise we can raise some questions about some things. Like, for example, uh, one thing that DNA said in the announcement was they've only recently started to shift from feature phones to smartphones, which sounds more significant than it actually is because feature phones those would be like your old uh, like, like flip, flip phone type phones. And that's less significant than it sounds because in Japan, the transition from feature phones has been a lot slower than in the U.S. But at the same time, since this partnership probably aims to be super global and not just focused on Japan, it's a little disheartening to see a company that has, really doesn't have much experience with smartphones yeah, as they, Nintendo's they partner. No, no, no. They, they, let's see, where is this? Um, they've made tons and tons of smartphone games in the past. They have a million things on the App Store. Well, they've they've said that they've only started transitioning to native apps recently. Uh, so, I mean, it's not that's not to say they have no experience, but they're really a company that's more experienced in Japan trends, not in global trends. They have they have at least what is this fifty apps already, which is I mean that's that's a big number. Yeah, I especially guess especially if they're only saying recently. I think it kind of makes sense that they would choose a company that has a little more Japan expertise. Not just because Nintendo is based in Japan, but also because the mobile gaming boom has just really struck Japan. It's to the point now where mobile games already, in 2013, generated more money than all handhelds and consoles combined in Japan. The The mobile gaming market was worth over $5 billion in Japan in 2013, and it's presumably even higher in 2014. I don't think we've gotten the full numbers for last year yet. So maybe this is something where Nintendo starts with Japan and, you know, seeing how they can take advantage of that because, you know, obviously Wii U is not selling particularly well there. So that's uh, an area where they're not bringing in as much money from that region as they used to. And then as they get a little more familiar with, you know, their partnership with DNA and with making mobile games, then they can maybe stretch it out into more of a global effort because they definitely do want to go global. But Japan is just a huge mobile market right now and more so than either the handheld or console market. Yeah, that's true. And I will yeah, say it's encouraging. That's a really good point. It's, it, it is encouraging that they're going after a partner for this and they're not trying to kind of take on everything themselves because this really is a brand new area for Nintendo. Whereas, you know, even though I have some reservations about DNA and smartphones, they do have much more mobile experience, especially when it comes to mobile business models. Mm-hmm. Well, and with uh, Nintendo so, already sometimes struggling to keep up with game releases... And then, you know, they're, they're trying to launch this quality of life platform. Now, if they go smartphones, too, that's that's just a lot of different ventures to be working on all at once. So it's good to see that they brought a port. Let's do everything. Yeah, exactly. On mobile is such this fast-moving space, too, that they really do need to expand their their workforce. And this is one way that they can do that without uh, having to hire on a bunch of talent themselves. Yeah, no, I agree. And... Um... Yeah, so their first game launches this year, so we can tell they're already at least making some sort of progress. If if anything else, their um, DNA is making some sort of progress. Yes. And uh, analysts are super happy with this decision. You know, they, they all say neither DNA nor Nintendo are market leaders in their fields. They can both help each other become the market leaders, um, which that's totally valid. I think, you know, I think there is there are really good opportunities here. I just, I hope that... Um, 
you know, I hope that they don't fall into some of the pitfalls that mobile gaming uh, makes really enticing. You know who else is really happy right now? Nintendo's investors. Yes, yes. their stock is skyrocketing. It's like there was like a twenty five percent. I think it was twenty five percent last time I checked. Is it fifty now? It's it it went saw... up and down throughout the okay. day. The I saw the highest I saw it hit was thirty, okay. and it closed the day at twenty seven point four five percent. And that's still like higher than it's been since early twenty fourteen. I want to say so. Yeah, and, and that's a, in one a big number. That's a turnaround in one day. That's phenomenal. Here's how quick Nintendo stock was jumping this afternoon or this this uh, late morning. I wrote the article and I posted it. And then before I shared it to our Facebook page, I wanted to go back and proofread it and make sure everything was all good. And in the time it took me to edit the article, I went to go share it, and I just, on a whim, kind of double-checked the stock price, and it had gone up from 23% to 29% in, like, five oh minutes God. that it took me to edit the article. Wow. So I actually had to change the title and the wow. URL before I shared it to Facebook. Wow. Um, so, I mean, the question is, uh, well, first we, first we want to uh, put out there, that uh, this is the second half of the news is that they are not abandoning uh, the home console market. They're still a dedicated gaming company. Uh, they talked about a new uh, console for the next generation of gaming platforms, uh, which is currently codenamed NX. And they didn't, they didn't give us any information about it. Uh, they're going to, they're going to give us information about it next year. I'm assuming that'll probably, that probably means they'll talk about it at E3 2016. That is, um, yeah, the only news we got really is that, that they, they teased that it's a brand new concept is the phrase right. they use. Uh, so we, we really don't know anything about that. Speculation is going to be a lot harder than it is for mobile games. Uh, you can already pre-order it, though. GameStop, or what is it, EB Games Australia um, is already offering pre-orders for NX already. Woo. It's <laughs> a little ambitious it. given really that is. it probably won't even launch till like 2016, 2017. Well, if those that. those five bucks will be a five bucks well deposited, Alex. <laughs> um, so don't worry, you know this. The smartphone endeavor doesn't mean that uh, you know they're still going to be doing everything that we love them doing. They're just also going to be uh, putting their IP onto mobile devices, and I, I have a feeling they'll probably make a couple new IP for smartphones as well. But you know, let's let's talk briefly about what kinds of games we think might be coming to smartphones. We already talked in the last podcast, um, like WarioWare, Rhythm Heaven, that kind of stuff. Like Elite Beat Agents, just begs to be on smartphones. I I kind of get the feeling that if they make games in any of those franchises in the future, it will be on smartphones designed specifically for smartphones. Because I feel like there's just no market for like War- WarioWare, especially. Uh, anymore on their dedicated platforms so something one of our uh one of our readers commented on one of the articles i actually thought was a pretty good idea is an auto runner mario game like a side scroller yeah just yeah just a like a classic side scroll mario game where you're automatically running you just time that's interesting because i actually i was asked to review a mobile game yesterday um it was an auto running side scroller and in reviewing it well in playing it for potentially reviewing it, I realized auto-running side-scrollers are just a fundamentally bad idea on mobile because your fingers are getting in the way of the action. And when there's no room, when there's no margin of error for players, it's really, really hard to, um, well, t- to play. It's, it's, it's a very frustrating experience. So I don't think that, a, that an auto-running side-scroller is a good idea at all. Well, 
I think it depends on the UI. Because if it's all left to right, you could just have someone tap on the left side of the screen, then they're not going to be missing anything because the left side of the screen is stuff that's behind well, them Well, but anyway. that's, that's what this game was. And I thought... Really? That, yeah, I thought that wouldn't be a problem, but it, it turned out to be a problem. Now, granted, this game was a hard game uh, by nature already, so it, it, it dumped you into like a, a level that was hard to play. So you had to not only figure out the mechanics while navigating a, a really frantic, frantically changing... Uh, platformer but even even with the buttons in the corners uh it was just it was just by nature of of mobile and having your thumbs on the screen blocking a part of the action it was very hard to get used to that and i think um i think with mario it's a little easier because mario is just by nature a pretty easy side scroller but i still i still don't think that's the best idea well something i also mentioned earlier was an animal crossing mobile game because that's there's just so much collectible content and things like that, and you know user generated content too, and you design your own patterns and everything. So I think that's something that could be ripe for a a format where you you can unlock everything just by playing, but maybe you can get some rare items as as uh, microtransactions and things like that. And that would be really good at bringing in a younger audience. Yeah, too. and it would also be really good at bringing um, bringing in people who want a much better Animal Crossing experience to other systems from Nintendo. Because, you know, getting, getting like a small taste of Animal Crossing, I think uh, iPhone is a really good method of delivery for that. And it's also such a leisurely game that, that um, the touch controls, we all know touch controls are not as responsive as con- traditional buttons. They're, it's kind of frustrating. Um, that's, that's a major reason why Nintendo has been avoiding uh, mobile platforms in the past. But something like Animal Crossing... You know, you you really don't need terribly responsive controls. You don't, you don't like take damage. You don't die in Animal Crossing, so it's it's, it's not a problem. Yeah, unless you piss off Tom Nook. <laughs> and I mean, the the most action you'll get out of it anyway is a mini game, which they can easily tweak for touch controls anyway. Right. Now, a cool thing I th- I would think about, and and I've mentioned this when we previously talked about smartphones, is a cool thing about an Animal Crossing smartphone game was that if you're collecting items, if that's the main thing that's happening. Uh, Nintendo could always link that back up to the console games where you can send your items back over to your console game. So that'd be a good way yeah. for players to kind of get playtime even when they're away from their system. Yeah, I completely agree there. And um, uh, beyond Animal Crossing, I also think they could do something cool with uh, The Legend of Zelda and do like a like a, a dungeon game, like an app where you are, it, it like tests your reflexes to, to get to the dungeon as quickly, the end of the dungeon as quickly as possible. Um, they could do something like that. They could do something like the Cuckoo minigame from Link Between Worlds. Um, just put that on iPhone and call it a day. I think that would work really well. Uh, stuff like a shooting gallery that you control with gyro, kind of like in Majora's Mask and Ocarina of Time 3D. Could be a lot of fun. So I think there's some really cool opportunities to put Zelda minigames on smartphones um, and have the main Zelda experiences uh, on home consoles. And that's not to say get rid of minigames in the home console games, but... You know, to give someone, like, say, say you're going on a train and you still have a hankering to play Zelda, you can then go on your iPhone and play the minigame, and you still get your fix of Zelda, even if you're not at home on the couch on the Wii U. Um, I think that's a really good idea. And like you said, Alex, you can also, uh, you could then, like, put that back into the game. Say you have the shooting gallery game, and you win. You get a heart piece. You could then sync that up to the game and get, get the heart piece as a reward for the shooting gallery minigame in the game. And that way you'd save yourself the trouble of having to sit down on the couch in order to do something like that and, and reap the rewards of playing the game um, from home. That was a terribly inarticulate way of putting it, but... Yeah, whatever. You know what I mean, I think. 
So I don't I don't have a single game on my smartphone. I just don't really do smartphone gaming. But I guarantee that I would buy in a second if Nintendo released a Pokemon Battle Simulator, like similar to oh. what like Smogon has going on, but with official Nintendo rules. I never and thought stuff. of that, but Ben, you're a genius. And and link it oh, to your po- link so it to your fast. Pokemon bank account. Because <laughs> yeah. that Honestly, should be that's, a thing. That's it is a really good idea. That's what I thought they should do immediately when they first announced Pokemon Bank. Is this is an opportunity to bring Pokemon off of your Nintendo platforms and do something with them? They're on the internet right. now. I'm not sure they would do that. I feel like they fear that if they if they put a battle simulator on the iPhone, that'll that'll um, eliminate the desire for the Pokemon fans to uh, play the metagame on the consoles. Yeah, I think that's definitely an area where they wouldn't do it because they feel it could hurt sales. But that was more of a my dream game. Right. That, yeah, I see. I uh, see. This is probably going to happen. Game. And finally, I know we we talked about this before. Finally, on my part, anyway. Um, I know we talked about this before in the other one, but I think they could do a really good job with a mobile Mario Kart game that's just controlled by the gyro controls. You know, just press the bottom right corner to accelerate, and press the bottom left corner to uh, to use your item. But uh, do a really great Mario Kart game that's just one cup um, has like just Mario, Luigi, Peach, and Bowser to choose from. That has entirely new courses, but it's on smartphones, and that way you can, you know, you can play it a lot more. I know I would, I would play that a lot more than Mario Kart Eight because, because it's just so convenient to pull a phone out of your pocket and start playing a game than it is to uh, really sit down and decide I'm going to play Wii U right now. Uh, especially if you're not at home, because then you don't have your Wii U. Wait, you don't carry your Wii U with you? <laughs> I yeah, just I know. put it in isn't, my pocket. Isn't it, it's just, just like that the villager. Nintendo Portable. <laughs> Um, another similar idea they could do is Star Fox. It could use a very similar control scheme. It's on rails, so it's not too demanding to necessarily have to turn your smartphone a certain way to get your ship to move a certain way. Uh, plus, you know, we all want more Star Fox. <laughs> and what better way than on a platform where they don't have to worry too much about sales? Right. And of course, of course, there's always, you know, Super Mario Pinball Land and Metroid Prime Pinball and Pokemon Pinball X and Y. Which I just thought of that on the spot, but that would be they should do that as a sequel to the the past two Pokemon pinball games. Mobile devices would be a really great platform for those kinds of games, and again, you could use them to unlock optional, of course, rewards in your main games. Like so, if they did Pokemon pinball, uh, you could unlock you know like extra like master balls and stuff, and extra extra max revives. I, I I personally would love an easy path to the EV grinding items because those are yes. always a pain to get. Oh my god, yes. That would be one thing that I wouldn't mind Nintendo making microtransactions for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. So um, the the thing that they have said though about this is they're not going to port games from their current consoles over to smartphones because then it would it would. Not ruin, but it, it would certainly hurt the value of the games that already exist. Um, I think that what they kind of mean by that is like, we won't port games, but we will port engines and textures and aesthetics to make new games. So I think, uh, and this, you know, that this is me uh, saying this, but I think, you know, we could see something that looks exactly, that looks aesthetically exactly like Animal Crossing New Leaf. Uh, to be the Animal Crossing game on iPhone. We would see something that looks aesthetically exactly like Mario Kart 7 to be the Mario Kart game. Something that looks aesthetically just like Link Between Worlds to be the Zelda game. Something like and that. And I'd bet we'd see that amp up when they release their new platform, which they've already said is going to be designed to make porting assets easy. Uh, 
So I wonder that that'll probably include iOS devices and Android devices too, not just yeah, their hopefully. dedicated platforms. Yeah, well, I, I hope that does mean dedicated platforms because, you know, one of the biggest reasons, uh, this is a little off topic, but one of the biggest reasons that uh, third parties don't develop for Wii U is because they have to build so much of the game from scratch uh, in order to port yeah. it. Whereas with PC, Xbox, and PlayStation, you just, you know, you just change couple things here and there and it's good to go but with nintendo you really need to dig it even more so now when the the new stock the newest consoles are using literally out-of-the-box pc parts right yeah yeah but not nintendo not nintendo please understand so do you guys do you guys have any uh, strong opinions or thoughts about uh what this nx is that we might see uh we i know we've we've heard nintendo talk in the past about making a console that sort of combines their portable and their home console markets do we think this is it do we think that that's coming now or do we think that technology would still be too expensive uh, to happen anytime soon well it's it's not so much that they want to literally combine that oh i mean that is a possibility miyamoto has said that they've tossed around the idea of just having a handheld be their next main console and then you can just hook it up to a tv and have it act like a right console. well i mean i think i think but, i think part of uh something that's enticing at least to me um just for convenience's sake, is like if you could bring the Wii U gamepad with you in your backpack and use that right. use that alone to play Wii U games. And that's something that I think would work really well and be amazingly convenient, but I think that the technology to make the gamepad function as a Wii U is, uh, is going to be way too ridiculously expensive uh, for any time like in the near future. At the same time, I think that um, if they build it with like the gamepad working as a game system and then hooking it up to the TV, it's not going to be nearly as uh, sophisticated a gaming console as as uh, li- like it would be less sophisticated than the Wii U, and it would certainly be less sophisticated than like the next Xbox and the PS5. Well, the main point that they've been trying to hammer across is that they don't want you to think of console and handheld as two platforms going forward. They want you to think of Nintendo as the platform and then whatever devices they release as, uh, the, the, I think the phrase they used was brothers in a family of devices. So it's possible that we'll see more than one piece of hardware released because they say is we're working on a dedicated game platform. But the point they've been hammering in over and over again is that platform equals Nintendo. Platform doesn't equal Wii U or 3DS. Pl- Nintendo is the platform. So it's possible that NX, it might not even be specifically, the, the announcement and it might not be specifically focused on hardware as much as it is just this this new uh, like account-based system where you know you... You buy a game, and then you can get it on your Wii U or your 3DS or maybe one or two new devices that they announce. Mm. Yeah, I actually have an interesting interpretation of what NX might stand for, and it's based on the way X has been used in some games in Japan. X sometimes will mean cross. We've seen that in Xenoblade Cross. Right. We've seen it in Project X Zone, which really is Project Cross Zone in Japan. So do you, th- do you, I mean, do you think that means, like, cross between home console and, and handheld? I don't know that it specifically means that, but I think the goal of their next system will be to make it natively compatible with any kind of device that can access oh, the software. Oh, so even like smartphones, uh, Access PCs. their account system. And that doesn't mean that the software is necessarily going to port over to it, but it means that the device is going to be designed to connect to all these different things from the get-go, oh. as opposed to now where they have to kind of Frankenstein yeah, they, it together. Yeah, because they do have that new membership program coming up. Um, they, they announced a new member system that... Uh, connects not only to their their consoles their devices but to smartphones to pcs to tablets 
Um, yeah, and the amount so. of focus they've been putting on memberships and accounts makes me really think that's going to be central to what they're doing with their next platform. It's not just going to be kind of like how we have uh, accounts on Xbox and PlayStation, where they've been around for so long that they're just part of the part of the system at this point. It's really, I think, it's really going to be a focal feature for them. Uh, whether that works is another. Story. Also, with this uh, with this new membership program, that's also a joint venture between Nintendo and DNA. So they're yeah, yeah they're not it? just teaming up with them Ooh. for smartphones. DNA is going to help them design this membership program, and the uh, the CEO of I'm not sure if I like that. Well, here's what the the CEO of DNA had to say. He said that uh, well, first Iwata said that us combining with DNA is an extremely powerful combination, and then the CEO of the company said that his company essentially what they bring to the table is that they have an infrastructure that can handle massive amounts of traffic and that they specialize in analyzing user activities and then quickly reflecting and so that they can improve the service. So their plan is to help Nintendo launch this membership program and then continually work to improve it based on fan feedback, essentially. And then ideally help Nintendo build an infrastructure where they can actually do anything on the internet at all. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's really where I think their value comes in, is Nintendo has no, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say no, they have limited experience with infrastructure, they have limited experience with understanding what an account system means, whereas DNA already has these understandings and already has expertise even in these areas. So, guys, when do we think this this uh new system nx will will launch do you guys think it's you know something sooner like 2016 2017 or do you think uh well if they're announcing it next year i i think it's probably safe to say 2017 at the earliest well iwata says you know we hope to share information with you about nx next year so it's not like he's even firmly cementing like here's this product that's coming out soon He's saying, you know, we're kind of, we're in the early stages. We've got a good idea of what we're going to doing, uh, of what we're going to be doing, and <laughs> what, <laughs> what we're going to do, and hopefully we can share that vision with you next year. So if you look historically, like, we got the the code name for Wii as Nintendo Revolution in 2004, and then they actually... Which was such a good name. Yeah. So then they, they actually unveiled the product in 2005, and it didn't launch until 2006, and I expect kind of a similar timetable here, where they've revealed a code name, they've revealed they, they have this big game-changing idea, but we're not going to see it until 2016, and I don't imagine it'll launch until probably holiday 2017, which would give Wii U a full five-year life cycle, which is pretty much standard right. for Nintendo. Yeah, I, I'm completely with you. And the, the, the place where this was announced, too, an investor briefing sort of thing, uh, or corporate release, rather, uh, is sort of tells me that it's far off and they're just tell, telling us this to please their stakeholders. It's not really, they're not really ready to really announce specifics and they haven't announced specifics really. Um, but I'd, I'd be skeptical of them announcing it and then releasing it more than a year later because the the tendency now is for things to be announced and then released like months later, not just not years later. And I, I think they'd be hurting themselves to put that much distance between the announcement and the, and the launch. I think that might be the tendency for most companies. But, I mean, you look at even Wii U, it was revealed at E3 2011 and then didn't launch until uh, November of 2012. Yeah, so, and how well did that work out fair, for them? <laughs> not particularly well, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they'll uh, they'll learn from that and change the strategy. Well, they... Yeah. they... Yeah, well, I mean, the, the the Wii did did work out for them, and that had the same timetable. So, I mean, it's not, I don't, it's not a matter of time. It's a matter of of understanding their goals for the console, at those goals being good, and and acting. <laughs> well, I guess well. the more time there is between announcement and launch, the more time there is for the honeymoon phase to wear off. 
uh, which is why we've seen them kind of announce games closer to their releases too, outside of things like Zelda where they need to tell us it's coming, even if they aren't ready for us to see it yet. Uh, and with new 3DS, they announced it and released it within like a very, very short turnaround time. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we, we Splatoon was announced at last E3. Codename Steam was announced then. Codename Steam came out just now. So that's like a nine-month period. Splatoon is still longer Well, let's that. just be honest. If they um, only showed what so. they were releasing last year at E3, they would have shown like no games. So That's <laughs> true. That is true. Whereas <laughs> if they're still developing games for Wii U, obviously they can show those, even if they don't show NX until it's about ready to go. Well, so, I mean, I think uh, I think we have all pretty similar ideas about um, about NX, about the smartphones. Uh, so uh, are we all looking forward to it? I'm looking forward to seeing more, and then I'll tell you if I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm ever really going to get into the Nintendo cell phone craze unless they, you know, release, like, some must-have game for me, but... I, I'm excited just because I think it's a move that's going to be very profitable for them, and then I think they can funnel that profit back into their you know their main divisions and make more more console and handheld games. Well, I'm I'm personally excited um, mainly because finally I'll have something that's actually worth playing on my phone, and not just twenty forty eight because it's convenient. <laughs> smartphone games for so long have just been you know you play them because they're there and that's what is available to you to do. That's what's there to pass the time. But if, if what's there to pass the time is also a really good experience, like I'm hoping and I'm pretty confident that Nintendo will provide, then I think that's a really, really uh, exciting yeah, idea. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll admit something that I don't admit often, and that's I don't even have a smartphone yet. And that's only because I was waiting for the data plans to finally meet the price for the talk and text plans, and they finally did. So I'll be getting one before E3, and so I'm I'm actually excited Excellent. to see what's going to happen. Uh, mostly because that'll be a completely new, completely new area for me anyway. Uh, so go Welcome smartphones! To the 21st century. Yeah, right. All right, awesome. So uh, everybody, this is uh, that marks the end of the second section in this week's podcast. But do stay tuned because after the break, we are going to be answering your questions. Like we said, uh, fans at Gamnesia have asked us questions about everything and anything Nintendo. So we're going to answer them. It's going to be wacky. It's going to be serious sometimes. It's going to be a lot of fun. So please stay tuned. Hello, everybody. We are back with more Nintendo Week. I'm your host, Colin McIsaac. Are you? Yes, I am. <laughs> I was way- <laughs> I was thinking way ahead of myself there. I was like, Alex, come on, man. I just introduced you. I thought you were waiting for <laughs> Apparently, the Apparently, I'm Colin McIsaac. <laughs> and I'm joined by Alex Plant. Hey. And Ben Wait, Lamoreau. am I Alex Plant? Now on Twitter. Yes, phones. you are, Ben. Uh, and Ben Lamoreau. I guess that's me. <laughs> So, uh, we we asked you at Gamnesia to send us your questions uh, about anything and everything Nintendo, and you guys delivered, so let's let's dig right in. It's going to be fun. Wolf14 asks, Do you think Nintendo should make more crossover games other than Smash Bros. so that they can take full advantage of the Amiibo? Uh, I think so. I'm a big proponent of Super Smash Kart, um, but the, the tricky thing, I think, is making crossover games require 
require Amiibo for use because that's a really bad idea. Um, I really think that, that Amiibo should be completely supplementary, but I do think that they should be used in more games um, and in more creative ways than just unlock this costume for your me in Mario Kart and like unlock this paint job for your plane in Ace Combat or whatever that is. Um, and uh, they are doing that with things like Smash Bros. and Mario Party 10. They are thinking of better, more creative ways to use Amiibo, but I would like to see more of that, uh, both in more games and stuff that is still, you know, pushing a little bit, uh, pushing the limits a little more of what we think Amiibo are. Um, so one thing that I would like to see them do is pair every Amiibo with a download code for like a, a virtual console game or maybe something on the eShop that's related to that character. So that way, if you get, say, like a, a Samus Amiibo and you don't have Smash Bros, it still has some sort of gameplay benefit. And it's not just a, you know, it's not just something that you buy and sits on your shelf. I think that now that Nintendo's ready to go all in with smartphones, which a lot of them have NFC nowadays. Uh, so I'd like to see them really push some of the crazy Amiibo ideas on smartphones where their games are already free to play and have weird business models anyway. And I think crossover titles, especially since they're trying to introduce their IP to people through smartphones, would be a really good idea here. Uh, like maybe we'd see like a crossover roguelike where you scan in your Amiibo and you can play as any Nintendo character in a side-scroller. Or maybe even Colin's Smash Card idea would play nicely with uh, Amiibo on smartphones, where that's kind of Nintendo's smartphone version of Mario Kart. Uh, starts off free to play, but you can no, add a Smash Card is such a good idea. You can have you, you, you can have you can have it on consoles too, but I think you know, it, a smartphone version of it. I think it'd be a good way to introduce people to Nintendo characters to to Nintendo Kart racers, and I don't know. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. So, um, but yeah, I think I think Alex's point about Smash Kart introducing people to more Nintendo properties um, and and trying out crazy amiibo ideas. I think that's that would be really awesome. So Jason asks, will Nintendo ever make a second part or sequel to Super Mario Sunshine? I really doubt it for this one because Nintendo just doesn't always seem that interested in making 3D Mario games in the same vein as Super Mario 64 or Super Mario Sunshine. Um, we've seen with the last couple of 3D releases, the level design's a little more linear. Uh, it kind of bridges the gap between 2D Mario fans and 3D Mario fans. 2D Mario typically sells better than 3D Mario, so even when Nintendo makes a 3D Mario game in recent times, they, they've been structuring it a little more simply so as to try to attract some of the 2D fans as well. So if Nintendo ever were to return to a more 3D open style, they, uh, they probably wouldn't do that by making a sequel to a game like Sunshine because it came out over a decade ago, so the the brand recognition isn't as strong with it. If they were going to make a more open game, they'd probably either just start with something fresh or maybe work off, like, the Galaxy series or something. I don't really see them returning to Sunshine. Well, you know, I think what they might do, and I think uh, this is especially... This actually ties into a question we have later, but I think they might release, like, Mario Sunshine HD or something, you know, like they did with Wind Waker. Um, right. I, I think that's a pretty likely possibility because it would give them a good chance to return to the Sunshine... Um, uh, the Sunshine style for the fans of Sunshine because there there are a lot of fans of Sunshine and a lot of them are very vocal that they want to see that idea return. But um, but yeah, it's uh, like Ben said, it's it's not great for brand recognition. Uh, it would not sell nearly as well as um, some other Mario's. Well, and then that's something that if you do an HD Super Mario Sunshine remaster or whatever, and it turns out popular, and then maybe that's an idea where you can revisit it and say, you know, now we can build off that brand. Right. Right now, just launching Super Mario Sunshine 2 in, in 2015, it, it it wouldn't sell much. 
And I guess, I guess another question is, is Nintendo going to continue making 3D Mario games for 2D Mario fans, or are they going to make 3D Mario games for 3D Mario fans? Because if yeah, they're not going to, then really Playtonic to Games should totally make a Mario Sunshine 2. <laughs> I'd be down for that. Super Dario 65. <laughs> Julian asks, do you believe that it may be possible for low-poly games like PlayStation 1, Nintendo 64, uh, to make a comeback just like the NES and Super Nintendo sprite kind of games have? And and I really don't think so. Sprite-based games are, are, they're making a resurgence for two reasons. One is because it's a lot easier and cheaper for uh, people to make a 2D game look great than a 3D game. So indie developers are opting for 2D a lot. Uh, the other reason is that fans are happy to play these kinds of games again. And, you know, part of that is nostalgia, but I think I think a much larger part of, of fans being willing to uh, play these kinds of games again is really because sprite art is in itself an art style. Uh, whereas with 3D games, the art style is about the textures, the lighting, uh, all, all that good stuff, and low poly counts just end up hurting that. So I think that's why you see indie developers who do make 3D games opt for higher poly counts and smaller worlds, uh, like Gone Home, like Octodad. Um, instead of making large worlds with low poly counts and bad textures and, and just calling it Nintendo 64 style. Um, and, and I don't think that's going to change. Well, one of the most popular games out right now is kind of a low poly game. It's, it's called Minecraft. But I don't think that that well, I necessarily think that's very stylistic. It is. It is stylistic. I don't think it's the the. I think it's more of the exception that proves the rule. You know, there might have been a case for releasing low poly games, new low poly three D games on phones like a few years ago before they all got big and beautiful with HD screens. Uh, but you know, at this point, everything's all the screens are just so nice and so high definition. There's no going back. Like it'll just look muddy. It'll just look bad. And honestly, I think that's one of the main reasons why Nintendo hasn't emulated N64 or GameCube yet on uh, on Wii U is that they wouldn't look great on today's TV screens. Mm, but come on. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, that, it is a good point. I feel like that's something that Nintendo would really feel really strongly about. I feel like that, that that's one of those very like emblematic Nintendo reasons why they don't do something. Well, if you look screens at, are too good now. Yeah, and if you look at, at their past emulated games, they've always been about making the games work as well as possible on the current technology. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't think they'd accept something like that for new emulated uh, 3D games. I mean, they've got the Wii games up, but those are really just Wii compatibility, like games running in Wii compatibility mode. They're not really emulated. And with something like this, they'd probably have to take the emulation approach. I think a lot of people are kind of nostalgia blinded and don't realize that most N64 and PlayStation 1 games just looked bad. They looked like, a lot so of them terrible. just are bad. I mean, we we didn't care because it was like, oh my god, we have 3D gaming, right, but the spectacle you know, of it was was really something powerful. But whereas if you you look at like these, you know, Super Nintendo style games or these, you know, 8-bit like NES style games, you get both the nostalgia factor and you get you know, quality gameplay and even like a good look. Like there's there's Super Nintendo games that just look great because right. they Again, didn't try it's, to do... it's an art style. It's not Yeah, they, they didn't try to get too detailed. They they knew what they were working with and they stuck with it. But with PS one and N sixty four, like low poly style graphics, they were they were really trying to push the limits, and it just it, it didn't look good. And those limits back then were really, really low. Exactly. So, I mean, you, you see some, you know, indie devs, you know, making low-poly games and stuff, and it can be kind of fun for a little bit of nostalgia, but from a gameplay perspective, it's not particularly helpful. And I think just 
the bad graphics at times outweighs the nostalgia factor. So this is not something that I see emerging as a trend. So Darren, a friend of ours from Zelda Informer, asks, what amiibo would you guys like to see made in the future? And this is a really good question, I think, because Nintendo is currently releasing amiibo in, in lines that correspond to his series. So, like, we've got the Smash Bros. series and the Mario series. Um, Monolith Soft wants a Xenoblade series. But with this model, they're going to run into a problem where uh, they want to release an amiibo for a single character. So let's say, like, like Abe Lincoln from Codename Steam. But then they have to make amiibo for all of these Codename Steam characters. And, I mean, let's, let's be honest. The, the only person in the world who's going to want to buy them is me. And, and I don't even like the characters. I just, I'm just insane. So they, they, need to, they need to ditch that model and accept that they will have to release standalone figures at some point. And, and so, to answer your question, um, well, we've, we've already established that I'm insane. I want, I want way too many characters to be Amiibo, so I'll, uh, I'll let you guys answer that first, and then, then we'll bounce back to me. So uh, I am a completely unashamed Zelda superfan. Uh, I started a Zelda theorizing club back in the day. <laughs> so you will be totally surprised to learn that I'd like to see Zelda characters as Amiibo. And not the Smash Bros. line that we already got, but maybe other iconic or sort of series staple characters like the Gorons or the Zoras or other other cool characters that people have gotten an attachment to over the years. Uh, but I also think the Amiibo would need to have a purpose beyond just being collectibles, especially for a series like Zelda, which is so beloved and such a beloved game with beloved characters. Uh, so in Zelda U, I mean, Aonuma's talked about he wants to have some kind of not totally single-player experience, and I've always imagined that being co-op. Sort of not, not full-fledged co-op, but maybe something co-op light, like in Dark Souls, where you can invite a player to your game. So maybe in the but Nintendo imagines it as tingle bottles. Oh, naturally, naturally. But you know, I can dream. <laughs> uh, so maybe like your Link could visit another Link's world. Uh, but if you want to just play by yourself, or you don't have friends to play with, or you don't feel like playing with randoms online, maybe you scan in your amiibo and you get like a Goron buddy or a Zora buddy to fight with you. And you know, each of them would have their own abilities, and they'd basically be able to replicate a lot of the abilities you would get from a human character, but as a CPU character. So I think that'd be a good and most importantly, totally optional way to use Amiibo in a cool way in a Zelda game to kind of bolster the experience for people who might not want to play co-op. Uh, and they've also got tons of characters that they could work with because uh, the series is so rich with its lore yeah. and, its, uh, and its inhabitants. Yeah, I mean, they've got, uh, you know, all the Ocarina of Time sages, all the Hyrule Warriors characters. they got Midna, Tingle, and... Uh, yeah. And uh, happy mask sales in Amiibo. That would be cool. And for Amiibo, they don't even necessarily for Amiibo they don't even necessarily have to fit with the story. They could just be random characters that show right. up, right. Uh, or they could have brand new characters from the new game. Uh, depends, you know, depends what they what they feel like doing with what it. What about Squadala? Squadala. Oh, is that no? Oh, that's the just the thing the wizard sh- the CDI games. His, oh, his name's Guanam. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I I don't play these CDI games. I don't know. Faces of Evil is the best game ever made. All right. <laughs> all right so so Ben, do you have uh, any amiibo that you really really want um, to see? See, Colin, I'm the exact opposite of you in that I just don't care well, at all about like the collector's well. values of, of amiibo. So, um, 
for me, it would just be about, you know, which ones are used well in games. Mm-hmm. I just want to see, you know, good gameplay value out of them. The only one that I'd really want for collector value alone is Captain Toad. Well, for me, it's not so much, like, collector value. It's just, like, I love, like, seeing my favorite characters and having them there. It's not, like, about... Yeah, see, I It's don't not about collecting about them, although I do collect them. <laughs> I guess it is about collecting them. But it's, I, it's about I, I just, like, have, liking these I do these have things. all those other ones on my shelf now, so far. Mm. So this I'm, is not surprising. Yeah, well... I've seen your house. It's wall to wall. Well, in that case, I guess uh, it's it's bouncing back to me. I there are a ton of characters that I'd like to see. Prepare for a, a long list because I I did prepare this list. Uh, I'm with Ben. Captain Toad would be awesome. Captain Toadette too. I would like Captain Toadette. Uh, we got Paper Mario, uh, Abe Lincoln, Codename Steam again, Cranky Kong, obviously, um, just obviously, obviously. Uh, Waluigi would be awesome. Love him. Girahim, Ridley, Wolf, King Hippo from Punch-Out! I think that'd be pretty cool. Um, we got the Ice Climbers, which, I mean, they may not be playable in Smash 4, but let's be real. They're Smash Bros. characters. They deserve an amiibo. They, they really do. You just you, you actually just got me thinking about how the Mr. Game & Watch one is going to work. But Oh, really? But anyway. You're caught up on that from, from, from a whole 12 characters ago? Well... <laughs> well, I mean, you were talking about Smash Bros. Amiibo, and then, anyway. I see, yeah, yeah. One thing led to another. <laughs> and just somehow I woke up in Vegas. <laughs> um, so, and then, uh, I think Tota KK would be cool, and maybe Isabel from Animal Crossing. Uh, that could be fun. Knuckle Joe would be pretty cool. I know that's not very likely. Um, and I'm, I'm also totally with Alex on having Zelda characters. Um, I already mentioned, like, Darunia, Ruto would be cool. Tingle, Midna, and stuff. Um, Hyrule Warriors would, characters Yeah hi, I, They already Amiibo works so well With Hyrule Warriors already I don't know why they don't I they liked don't just the Link implementation that. So much And that would be A really great way To just extend the game Yeah Yeah um, And then what I would Really love And I know this isn't Going to happen But uh, I would really love it If you could send in A Mii to Nintendo And get like A custom made Amiibo Of your Mii In like Like a, uh, the, the pose would be You know Standardized but the face and the hair and stuff would be, like, custom-made um, to match your me. Uh, of course, that would cost so much money, but it's at least really cool in theory. I would totally love if you could do that. You'd still buy, like, five of them. <laughs> Only five? You'd make one for each of the Gamnesia staff and just have, like, a That would be toy so cool! <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not as far-fetched as you think. Uh, Miyamoto did say he wants people to be able to custom order their Miis. At some point, really? yeah, he said that at some point. Yeah, I, th- I, I think he says he has one of himself. So, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, that's really cool. So, I, I want a Reggie Fils Amiibo. <laughs> Reggie Fils Amiibo. Oh God. Johto Boy asks, "Wii U Pokemon <laughs> game when? <laughs> and and why has the Pokemon series been neglecting consoles lately?" So I imagine we're definitely going to see something from the Pokemon series on Wii U, especially considering all the pent- the potential there is for using Amiibo with Pokemon. Like that's just Nintendo's just but sitting there. There are going to be so many. There. No. I know they're going to release Sorry, like seven hundred. They're just going to put it on 3DS, <laughs> not Wii U. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. But anyway, go on. Well, I mean, we've already seen Pokemon Rumble on Wii U, but I'm sure that's not exactly what you were looking for. I think um, he's really Game talking Freak. more about like uh, Coliseum and XD. Maybe maybe yeah, stadium exactly. and stuff, but we got Battle Revolution, and that was not very well received. But to be honest, it was basically Pokemon Stadium just for Wii. Um, right. So I, I, I kind of well, feel like that's sort of emblematic that 
the Pokemon Stadium formula isn't popular. What's really popular is like the Colosseum and XT sort of stuff. Right. So Game Freak never releases their main series Pokemon games on home consoles. But like you said, we've seen, you know, Coliseum and, you know, the Pokemon Yeah, and those were developed, by the way, by uh, Genius Sonority. So that's, you know, it's not, uh, doesn't interfere with Game Freak's development cycles. Right. Um, But right now, Wii U obviously has not sold much at all. It's only sold about 9.2 million units. So I think when Game Freak is looking at what platforms to sort of put their Pokemon spinoff games on, 3DS is just a lot more enticing to them. So I imagine we'll see something with Pokemon and Amiibo on Wii U and... But I, I don't know about much outside of that. And like Alex said, you know, now that um, new 3DS supports Amiibo, you could even see a, an Amiibo game maybe across both platforms, or maybe even exclusively on 3DS. But I would not hold my breath for anything major from the Pokemon series outside of an Amiibo game. Rob asks, do you think Nintendo will ever bring Donkey Kong 64 to the Virtual Console? People keep saying it might not happen because of the jetpack or the Rare coin, but Rare has already debunked those thoughts. Uh, so, first, they need to bring Nintendo 64 to the Virtual Console, um, and there are, there are no signs of that happening anytime soon. Uh, but, if they do, it is possible that Donkey Kong 64 would come out. Um, I haven't seen what you're referring to with Rare, uh, but there's, there's so much weirdness uh, around Nintendo's redistribution of, like, 90s-era, like, Donkey Kong games, that it's, it's just really hard to say. Uh, we did get all of Donkey Kong Country and Donkey Kong Land on the Virtual Console just just recently. Uh, But at the same time, Diddy Kong Racing never made it to the Virtual Console on Wii. So, I mean, it's it's just really hard to say. Well, that's because they were too busy selling Diddy Kong Racing DS. Oh, that's true. Which is obviously the best version of the game. Are you being sarcastic? It's not. Okay. Uh, I, I seem to remember, and I'm just talking out of my butt here. I don't have anything in front of me that backs this up, but I seem to remember them saying something back in the Wii era where they were having trouble porting Donkey Kong 64 over because of the weird things they had to do to to get it to work on N64 in the Oh, that's right. There were the expansion pack and there was was a lot of stuff. And if you remember how the first emulation of Majora's Mask turned out, uh, it didn't turn out too great on GameCube. So I, I, I can imagine that, that that's still a problem uh, on top of the whole not having N64 games on Wii U anyway. But, uh, but maybe they've overcome that by now. I don't know. The Orange Beanie asks, if you have to join Nintendo's creators program if you want to upload Nintendo-related content to YouTube. Uh, I believe the answer is no. Uh, you have to submit individual videos to the program if you want to monetize them, but you don't have to actually join their whitelist uh in order to just upload them to YouTube and have them there. Pokedude14 asks, Do you think the new 3DS is worth the upgrade, as I already have a normal XL? So, it kind of depends what you're looking for. If you are looking for, like, a new gaming experience, and you're kind of on a tight budget, then I'd, I'd wait to see what Nintendo does, because we don't really know how many exclusive games they're going to make for new 3DS, or how many of their games that aren't exclusive will have exclusive features. So if you're looking for a new gaming experience, I'd say wait and see first. But if you are just looking for the best 3DS gaming experience you can get, then definitely make the upgrade because it is a, a vastly improved in spirit experience. The 3D effect is, is more clear and has a, a better range. You can 
turn the console or the handheld to the sides a little bit without losing focus. So definitely much improved. The loading times are much improved, and the C-Stick is also great for controlling the camera. So it is, it's a really good upgrade, but it's not a new console. So if, if that's what you're looking for, then, then pass. This question was worded a little oddly, so um, I'm sorry. Forgive me if, if this isn't quite what you asked, but uh, this question comes from Elias. Do you think Nintendo should release GameCube games on the Virtual Console or re-release more Wii games instead? Um, and I think both. I don't see any reason why they couldn't do both. Um, there are some GameCube games that I think uh, should be saved for HD remasters and launched for like 30 bucks. Uh, so, you know, Paper Mario, Pikmin. Uh, we, we talked about Mario Sunshine. Uh, but, but there are tons of great GameCube games that they could and should release and now that they have the GameCube adapter for Wii U, I, I think that there's really no excuse not to anymore. Uh, Alex mentioned earlier, like, that they wouldn't look so good. My response is, like, so what? <laughs> um, I, I, I play them... I still play GameCube games uh, on, you know, an HDTV, and they just... They ask, you know, would you like to enable progressive scan? I have no idea what that means, but I know it has something to do with HD. Um... And I, I just say yes, and it, it still looks totally fine. Not nearly as bad as Nintendo 64. So, side note on GameCube games on Wii U. So, technically, did you know that Wii U, Wii U can technically run GameCube games? It just can't read GameCube discs. So, they could do That's not surprising. They could do something similar to what they've been doing with the Wii games now, where they just release them digitally as is, and they just run right. in Wii mode. And they have, obviously, the GameCube adapter, so they just have to make sure that works. And they could do that, and that would probably meet those needs. The question is, are they going to? And I think with the way they've been selling the GameCube adapter, probably not. Or well, not I mean, a lot of the games GameCube they could adapter. adapt to uh, classic controller. But yeah, but that's actually a good uh, a good transition into uh, your question about uh, the Wii games. Should they re-release more Wii games instead? For Wii games, the Wii U can play Wii titles natively, uh, I believe. So it's not it's 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 really just a matter of making the games available in a digital format. They don't really need to do any work in getting them to run like they do with virtual console releases. Uh, one thing that's been cool so far at the Wii releases is they've been releasing games that are kind of rare to find. So you have Metroid Prime Trilogy, which is obviously really expensive if you want to get it uh, a physical copy. Uh, Punch Out, I believe, did pretty well, but there, you don't find a lot of copies in the secondhand market necessarily. Uh, and in Japan, they've been going even crazier. They're releasing Pandora's Tower. They're releasing, uh, I forget how to pronounce it, but there's this weird Wii Motion Plus hack and slash sort of thing uh that was pretty rare uh so i'd love to see them take that approach with wii titles here too but you know we've only gotten three games so far cademan 011 asks why does nintendo insist on the car mechanic in mario party 9 and 10 in addition if amiibo party is supposed to be a replacement for the classic mario party games why are the boards so small and seem so boring so you ask why and i mean i obviously have no insight whatsoever into the development of Mario Party 10, but if you look at their recent history, I can say at least that Nintendo has become pretty adept at cranking out games that heap on the nostalgia and the old content, but then they cut back on the complexity, at least compared to the predecessors. Uh, you'll find some exceptions. There's Mario Kart 8, which is obviously much more complex than the other Mario Karts. Uh, Smash Bros, which has heaped on so many modes that you and items and characters that it's become really complex Smash as well. Smash Tour is definitely more complex than the original single-player mode. Sure. But at least they feel sure. like they've... Pro- what do you mean? <laughs> but at least they feel like they've progressed. Like, it's not... 
it's not like New Super Mario Brothers where, yeah, the game's gotten tighter, but the content is basically the same we've seen before. Uh, and they've in many ways streamlined the game in a way that makes it less complex. Uh, and I think that's what's going on with Mario Party 2. Uh, the boards feel like the content we've already seen enough of from New Super Mario Brothers, but they've stripped out all the cool things that made past Mario Parties great, like the uh, the uh, old board style, which they've now shoved into these really simplistic, straightforward boards instead of the crazy, wacky boards that we're used to. Saul asks, do Princess Peach and Bowser have magic powers? In the original Super Mario Bros, Bowser is said to be known for his dark magic, and Peach was the only one who could undo it. But in modern games, but in modern games, they haven't been seen to use it much. Uh, so I think that's actually a really, really good question. And I think it really depends on what you would consider magic in the Mario games. Uh, we, we see Peach using her floating jump in a lot of games, and, and, and Bowser's always changing his size and doing wacky things. Uh, but to answer this question, I think it's more important to think about the role of magic in the Mario games. And that role mostly, I think, is to explain gameplay elements through lore rather than actually in the game. So you brought up the original Super Mario Bros. Uh, in that game, Bowser's like this, this sorcerer, and he turns all the subjects of the Mushroom Kingdom into blocks and enemies and stuff. But you never actually see him do that. All that really is, is uh, an afterthought to explain why this world is the way that it is, and it was put in the instruction manual. But as the series went on, I think they shed that need to explain things, you know? Um, like, like blocks don't need a story. They're, they're blocks. No, Colin, they're not blocks. They're innocent civilians that got oh, turned into I blocks, see. and you're killing them. I see. You are but the But then why doesn't Mario. Peach undo it at the end of the game, Ben? Well, she's evil too. <laughs> she's not a very good ruler, is she? Um, Iron Fist. So yeah. Monarch. So I mean, I think I think Nintendo re- has realized that. Um, so in the games, he doesn't use any less magic than he used to, because uh, we never really see, because we never really saw him use magic in the first place. Um, the lore of the series has just become a lot less important, um, and at the same time, and at the same time. Magikoopas were introduced in, like, Super Mario World, and whatever gameplay elements they do need to explain with magic has typically fallen to them. So, you know, uh, like like Yoshi's Island, uh, K-Mac is responsible for, like, making everything giant and, and making all this crazy stuff happen. Stuff like that. So, a bit of trivia on Bowser and his magic powers. So, in Japan, Bowser actually has a title, which is the same title that Ganondorf has in the Zelda games, which is Demon King. Koopa? Uh, so, he gets his magic from... I don't know. He's a, he's a demon king. Bowser. Uh, that sounds think... so, so horribly intimidating for, like, what a goofy character <laughs> for... Bowser is. Because in the end, he winds up being a gangster, basically. What? Uh, and at least in more recent games, he seemed more like a gangster than, than a demon king. He... he... Uh, with his pimp car and... And his uh, his his large uh, what? I think you've been watching too much of this 1980s Mario movie, but uh, Alex. Um, Yeah, we can get into my theories about Mario just being gang wars another time. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, if he's a demon king, that would explain his dark magic. And I think early on, when Nintendo was big into censorship and they weren't translating that kind of thing, that might have been their way around that. Nowadays, it seems like they just don't acknowledge it and they don't even they don't even care. Right. Uh, 
but he is a demon king, so he does have magic powers. Anthony Stark asks, why not just release a Nintendo phone? Okay, so the whole point of Nintendo joining like the mobile game push and putting their software on cell phones and tablets and stuff like that is because software is where Nintendo makes all their money. You know, you buy the games, that's that's where Nintendo gets their money from. They're not making much money off of hardware. And in fact, they're actually, for a long time, they were losing money every time they sold a 3DS and a Wii U. So the whole point of taking Nintendo games and putting them on cell phones is you have this install base of like roughly a billion people that have a smart device. So if you release a Mario game on 3DS, then there's 50 million people that own a 3DS, but there's a billion people that own a smartphone. So it kind of defeats the purpose for Nintendo to make a Nintendo-specific phone because then you're still requiring everyone to go out and buy your hardware, which you're not even making any money on, first before they can get to your software, which is where you are making money. So Nintendo will not be releasing a Nintendo phone because that would just be trying to enter an already crowded market and compete with, you know, Android and, and iPhone and all those things. And it, it just wouldn't make any I sense. I also, that's all totally true. I also just want to throw into the ring... Uh, I don't trust Nintendo to make a functional phone with like a good OS and like good cell connectivity and Wi-Fi features that's anywhere near as robust as what Android and iPhone already offer. And I think Nintendo doesn't trust themselves to do that either. Right. It's it's completely stepping out of their, their comfort zone to enter a crowded market when it's it's much easier just to release right, it on right. existing. They, they may be out of touch enough not to realize that their account systems are but they're at least not out of touch enough to realize that they are not phone developers. <laughs> now if only Sony could realize that. <laughs> Wait, you mean you don't have a Sony Ericsson? <laughs> That's how I one. play all of my PSP games. <laughs> SMB Master asks, what do you believe the odds are that Pokémon Tournament will come to the Wii U and the West? And if the odds are favorable, uh, when do you think it will happen? My answer is 100% on both of those questions. It it's just is. It's happening. Um, as for time frame, I want to say the Wii U version will launch between like February and uh, like June around the world. Uh, 2016. Um, not, yeah, that would be too soon. Um, but but I'm just kind of spitballing on that. Um, you know, we don't really know. It's, it's releasing in arcades in the summer in Japan. I feel like they're going to want to have, you know, a nice healthy period of arcade popularity before they bring it to home consoles. Ninja Peace asks, why does Nintendo suck at marketing? <laughs> yeah, so I think the only way to answer this question is in kind of a roundabout way. And that's by starting with the people at the top. Uh, most of the people at Nintendo who are actually in a position to make big decisions about the direction of their products are from like this bygone area of the company when they were the dedicated game platforms were like the only place to play games and so you could just assume that people were going to buy them be if you made quality platforms. Uh and you know the fun thing about product direction is it determines how marketable the products are. You can be much more effective at marketing a product if the product really meets people's needs and wants. Uh, so, for example, one area where Nintendo's struggling now is internet-connected services. Their apps tend to be kind of sluggish. They tend to not be well integrated with their platforms. They don't have an account system that people are happy. So if Nintendo's really struggling to deliver on bare-bones functionality and fundamental features, like an account system... It's, you're going to have a hard time marketing that anyway. Uh, so I don't think the real problem is Nintendo's marketing as much as Iwata and Miyamoto would like to think that it is. 
you know, you hear them say all the time, we need to communicate the value of our products better. Well, maybe really the problem, maybe the problem really is that your products need to be more valuable. Uh, so I actually disagree um, almost completely. I, I, I agree that some of their products are not uh, terribly valuable, but I do think that the marketing team is having some serious problems just marketing. Uh, I do think that they are doing a bad job at their jobs. Um, uh, and I don't think that it's the fault of the higher ups. I think it's their fault. Um, so, so if we look at like the Wii U's marketing, um, a lot of their commercials call the Wii U an upgrade from the Wii. And they say that it plays different games. And these are the commercials that are supposed to be telling people why, they, why it's worth um, buying a Wii U if you already have a Wii. Um, and that, but that's just not how good marketing works. They need to say that it's an entirely new console, not just an upgrade, because that's super vague. It could be like a controller that upgrades the Wii because it's a better controller. People who... People who bought the Wii, like my grandma, she can have no idea what upgrade means. They need to say that it's an entirely new system, and they need to say that that system is better. The games look better, feel better, and are better. The experience is fundamentally better. You cannot say that it's different and expect it to work. Uh, second of all, their commercials are based entirely around children, and it's a great cons console for kids, I'll grant it, and it doesn't have a lot of great, you know, mature games, but they do have some. And the way that marketing works is spinning your resources to the best uh, possible advantage. So they do have like Assassin's Creed and Call of Duty, Bayonetta. They can still market those some of those games as being on Nintendo's platform and make commercials that show those alongside games like Mario, like Pikmin, and say, look, this is a console for everybody. It is specifically for you. So by all means, like emphasize family fun, because when it works, it can be a great thing. But don't think that all ages accessibility alone will push sales. And don't think that commercials by nature mean the problem is fixed because they have commercials, but their commercials are bad. Um, you know, no matter what a system's commercial may say, if the main players in every ad are children, the only people who are going to take the thing seriously are children. And we all know that children are all on smartphones, on tablets. They don't really care uh, nearly as much anymore about dedicated gaming platforms. Meanwhile, there are plenty of great aspects about the console that make, that make great selling points. And they may not be the best features around, but again, marketing is about spinning things to look great. It's not about having features that actually are great. Um, they can say, you know, they, they can emphasize Miiverse. Um, you know, you have users right there uh, at your beck and call, ready to help you solve a puddle, like to solve a puzzle or find hidden lives at a moment's notice. And it's it's personalized to the question you're asking. You don't like go to Google and look for a walkthrough and hope they that they have what you want to know. You know, it's GamePad's touchscreen offers the best HUDs and menu systems that any gaming console has ever seen. That's something that they can really play up and if and it, the gamepad screen means that if someone wants to use a tv then you can still play your games even if someone else wants to watch like football and that's another thing that they that they can really show off that they just aren't doing that's they have these these amazing selling points for this console that no other consoles do and i think that they are just completely fundamentally failing at getting those points across so that's, that's not an answer of why they're bad at marketing, but that's, that's to say, I don't think that it's just the fault of the executives. I do think that the marketing team needs, you know, better workers. Well, 
Colin, were you trying to answer the question there, or were you trying to apply for a marketing job at Nintendo? Well, you know what? I would I would do a much better job than most of the people there. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I I agree that they've done kind of a crappy job with the hand they've been dealt, but I still think they've been dealt a pretty crappy hand. Of course they have. Like, no, I, I com- I'm like, completely with you If you, you there. look back to E3 2013 when they were talking about Super Mario 3D World, it wasn't the marketing team saying clear pipes and cat suits were the great thing about Mario 3D World. It was the developers that were saying that. Right. And I think that's pretty telling uh, about how there's this kind of mismatch between the development and uh, people's needs that's trickling down to marketing. That's not to say that they couldn't do a better job and couldn't ignore the weird quirks of the developers and actually market the things that make the game great. But these 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 aren't ideas that they're coming up with out of thin air. They're ideas that seem to have been handed down to them in some fashion. Right. But again, you know, as as you said, that doesn't mean that they that they have to stick with those things. They, there are much better features of the consoles and of the games that they can emphasize in their commercials that they just aren't. I remember I saw a commercial for a new Nintendo 3DS. The thing that they advertised was that it was new. It didn't advertise anything. It was just new. Who's going to buy something just because it's new? Especially something like a 3DS, which doesn't have, uh, you know, mainstream market appeal. It appeals to Nintendo fans and gamers as a handheld platform. But if you're airing that on, like, Nickelodeon, so what if it's new? Well, I guess kids are going to be excited that it's new. But, well, I mean, it works for iPhone, but iPhone is not 3DS. Well, if there's one community of brand loyalists that's more insane yeah. than our own, it's, it's Apple. It's Apple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fair so, enough. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I think there's so much that they can do that they just aren't. And uh, to to go back to your question, I'm sorry we, we, we took it so far off about that they're bad instead of why they're bad. Uh, to try and answer your question, well, I'm, I'm not even going to try to answer it because I just have absolutely no idea. I, I just think that they're bad at marketing because they hire people who are bad at marketing. That's probably also true. Yes. <laughs> Giovanni asks, do you think a Metroid game will show up on the Wii U or 3DS before the generation ends? I think a new Metroid game will show up on Wii U or 3DS before this year's E3 ends. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping we'll see one in E3. I'm not sure if we'll... We'll get one that soon or not, just because... Oh, I didn't so mean it would release. I, I would mean they would show it off. Sorry. No, no, no. I know. I, obviously, it's not going to release. But I, I don't know that they would announce one at this year's E3, just because they wouldn't want to detract from Star Fox and Zelda and Xenoblade and all the other big titles. But I think we'll absolutely see a Metroid this generation. Nintendo has said a few times in the past already that they have some ideas for both uh, 2D and 3D iterations of the series. And uh, last year, Miyamoto actually teamed up with Kotaku to conduct a poll and see what franchises people wanted to see brought to Wii U, and Metroid was by far the number one winner. So there's there's definitely a demand for it. You know, obviously it's it's not as big as, like, Mario or Zelda, but it's it's got a pretty passionate fan base, and Nintendo knows that, and they've just been uh, maybe giving it a little bit of a rest after other M, but they've got some ideas, so I, I definitely think we'll see one before the end of the generation. Well, I think for that reason, they actually would show it at E3 because uh, because so many people would get so excited about it, and especially if they have Metroid alongside Star Fox, Xenoblade, Zelda. Like, that's going to really position uh, this as a big, big year for Nintendo, and I think uh, I think having last year's E3, where they had Zelda and, and Splatoon and Smash Bros., uh, and and they teased Star Fox, and they had all this great stuff. I think having a second amazing year 
in a row would be great uh, PR for them. A. Kennerly asks, do you think Nintendo's rehashes of their big IPs are comparable or is comparable uh, to that of rehashes from other AAA developers? So I really like that you chose the word comparable. Uh, I, I do think it's comparable, but I don't think it's similar. So they're, they're comparable in that Mario and Zelda and Pokemon headline more games, in fact, per year uh, than, than Call of Duty, Assassin's Creed, um, etc. But these kinds of games, like Call of Duty and Assassin's Creed, they're they're all very similar to their yearly predecessors. So every year we get, um, you know, something so similar uh, in in gameplay, in aesthetics, in its tone. Um, while Nintendo's can all be wildly different, even if it's the same franchise. So uh, Mario Kart 8 is nothing like Mario vs. Donkey Kong, which is nothing like 3D World, which is nothing like Mario Party. Um, so they do recycle their IP a lot more, honestly, than some of these other big companies, but they recycle their gameplay a lot less than the other guys. And that, I would argue, is a lot more important. And, um, and uh, yeah. So I actually interpreted this question a different way. Oh, really? And I was looking at it less on characters like Mario and more on sort of individual franchises like New Super Mario Brothers, for example. Oh. Yeah, if you look at it from that perspective, it seems like they're amping up that kind of approach where they've just recycled the game engine wholesale. They don't even adapt it in a really significant way. Like if you look, if you compare the new Super Mario Brothers games, and you you uh, look back at the uh, first four Mario games on NES and SNES, like the differences between each of the first four are just so stark, you would barely even tell they were the same well, franchise. Mario Two wasn't exactly uh, Mario. I don't think it's fair to well, put that in. Yeah, there, but but your your point true. is still valid. But uh, you you can't really look at them and say, oh yeah, that's the same game engine. Whereas nowadays, right. it seems like most games you can see the vestiges of the previous right. engine very clearly like even skyward sword it's dramatically different from twilight princess very clearly built on the twilight princess yeah. uh foundation now wasn't and wasn't twilight princess built on the wind waker engine too which you yeah. can't see it at all and, but it, it was and it's not and they weren't like direct sequels or it wasn't like an ocarina of time majora's mask thing it right. was these were games that were otherwise wildly could have been different. really wildly different well especially yeah. like wind waker and twilight princess you know you can see just how amazingly different games they are and that kind of goes back to my point you know even games in the same series can be vastly different experiences right but at the same time though nintendo's kind of been dropping hints that what they really want to do going forward is to rehash these engines and reuse assets so we could see a lot more of the rehash approach going forward time will tell my friends time will tell uh but at least right now again I i think it's comparable but not similar pan asks which Nintendo character would you like to see get his or her own game? It's Waluigi, and I will hurt anyone who opposes me. I oppose you. I'm going to hurt you, sir. Does Ben have a does, does Ben no have, have a counter suggestion? <laughs> no, no, I just oppose you. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, I think Reggie Fizeme should get his own game. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. So Nintendo can just go full out meme Tendo. <laughs> yes, and make the Reggie Fees Amiibo. The Fees Amiibo. <laughs> I, you know what I think would actually be kind of cool is like a Toto KK music game. That'd be kind of neat. Of course you would. What? You're one of those. What? Kyle loves the Toto KK. I don't love the Toto KK. I just think it's like a good character to attach a music game to. Because it's like a spinoff. I, I, I don't wow. care about Toto KK. Knowing Nintendo, it would be Wii Music starring Toto KK. Uh, <laughs> I guess... I would also disagree with your Waluigi suggestion. No, only because, you don't. Only because 
We've seen so many Mario spinoffs already. It's time for another well, I mean, spinoff. Yeah, but I think you can take that same logic and say there are already so many Mario spinoffs. They see no reason to that stop. You might as well have another Mario spinoff. Oh, yeah. Now, what kind of game do you envision? I now? have no idea. I just like Waluigi. <laughs> he deserves Waluigi's something. Waluigi's Water Park. Uh, Waluigi's... Yeah, it's like Roller Coaster Tycoon, but you play as Waluigi. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> he rides in all the rides and goes, wah! <laughs> It'd be a smartphone game, sorry. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, SimCity, but with Waluigi as Mr. Right. Waluigi's day off. All right, well, so, everybody, thank you so much for listening. This is the Endo Nintendo week for today. It's been a big episode. We've had fun. I hope you guys have had fun, too. If you like this podcast, please subscribe either to Nintendo Week on iTunes or to Gamnesia TV on YouTube. And please head to iTunes to leave us a review. Uh, the reviews really help out with visibility, so we greatly, greatly appreciate it. Um, especially if you have good things to say. And if you can't wait till next week for more of our stuff, you can head to Gamnesia.com to see more gaming news as it happens. Sony, Microsoft, Indie, you name it. And even Nintendo news that we didn't have the time to discuss on this week's show. And finally, if you have questions or feedback uh, for Nintendo Week, please send it to Colin at Gamnesia.com. If you have questions you want us to answer in uh, the next time we do a Q&A, send them there as well. I will be genuinely overjoyed to hear from you. I sound so bored right now, but I will, I promise, for real, guys. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we hope you have another great week. But it's it sounds cool. like it's Alex a, is a lagging cool again. Point, but we can talk about it another yep, time. Yep, there he goes. Oh, am I? Oh, fabulous. <laughs>